Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's good to see all of you here today. Um, it's always been, by the way, you guys just sing great. You really do. It's encouraging to hear you guys in this service. I'm being specific to this service, singing great. And, um, so I um, uh, do want to say welcome to you. Also, welcome to those who listen on the podcast. Uh, I don't think I've ever addressed you on here. Um, but there's typically four to 500 people a week that are downloading the podcast. So that's good. Different parts of the world. We're you know, over 20,000 so far total. So that's, that's exciting, isn't it? Um, by the way, I found something on, on, online here that I think you might appreciate. Whoop, oh, where'd it go? No, not that. Not the camera. There it is. It tells me how long it is till spring officially starts. It is 44 days, 12 hours, 39 minutes, and 30 seconds. Okay, yeah, now stop counting, stop counting. Okay. Uh, so that is, that is good news, isn't it? Well, a few weeks ago we started, we opened up the uh, book of Philippians and began uh, considering the ideas of what can we learn from, the, from God's word here that would help us to reset our lives. Because sometimes our lives get kind of crazy, don't they? You know, they, they really, really do. Uh, they get out of sorts, out of whack, and, and it's just like, how do we get back, right? Well, we got to somehow or other be able to push a reset button to get us back. Just like we do on some of our electronics, sometimes you push a reset button. Um, <clears throat> and then um, we talked the first week about how sometimes there has to be a really hard reset. It's like a computer when it just, you know, gets stuck and you can't, and you finally got to pull the plug. You know, they say don't do that unless you absolutely have to, right? And so sometimes you have to. And we said the really hard reset for us was, was coming to grips with this idea that the moment we receive Christ as Savior, that we become Jesus' slaves. He is master. He is Lord. We are his slaves, his servants. And, and we, we said on the face of it, this idea of being a slave might say, well, that's a bad, you know, that doesn't sound like a good thing. But the reality is, is that we all serve somebody. We all serve something. We might as well serve the King of Kings, right? We might as well serve the one who is the absolute best master you could ever have. And by the way, one of the things I've noticed, it says it in the Word and I've noticed it in life, and that's that uh, those who become slaves of Jesus are the freest people in the whole world, okay? Because he frees us from all the things that, you know, hold us back from being who God made us to be. And so this idea then brought us to the, uh, the second week when we uh, were talking about we need confidence to be able to do what God has given us to do. Without confidence, we, you know, we don't want to do things. We, we lack confidence. And, and so to, to live the Christian life the way that God intends us, we need some confidence and confidence in God and in his word and, and even in our ability to respond to him, you know, as, as God enables us. And so we said that that confidence is, is directly tied to our surrender, our confidence from the Lord is directly tied to our surrender to the Lord. Because when you surrender to the Lord, either in, in a big picture way or about some specific thing, you say, okay, God, yes, I'm saying yes to you. I'm going to do this. I want to do it. That surrender brings his confidence 
into your lives. Because as long as you're holding back on that surrender, you're likely to lack the confidence that you need. And that brought us to last week. We were talking about church, church family, and, and us being as a church family, being everything that God wants us to be. Uh, and, and that all the good stuff we like about church family, right? You know, the relationships and the feelings that go along with it and helping one another, all of that stuff, that the only way we can have that is if we're like-minded, if we, if we have the same kind of mind about things. And Paul says the only way we can do that is if we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that is, is sacrificial, right? The mind of Christ that says, yeah, I'm willing to yield my rights for your well-being. Uh, and, and so we've got to have the mind of Christ to be the kind of church that the Lord wants us to be. And we saw, though, that the mind of Christ is inseparably intertwined with reaching people who are out there. That's what the, that past, whole passage talks about, what he came and did for us. And so we cannot hope to be the kind of church in here that we need to be if we are not also trying to be the church out there we're supposed to be. And if we think we're gonna succeed at being the church out there we're supposed to be without being the church we need to be in here, we're fooling ourselves, okay? So these things go together. And so now this brings it to, to what we wanna look at this week, and this week is not about some just one focused issue to reset in our lives, but we wanna talk about just our general approach to life. How do we approach life? What's, what's the pattern by which we live? And we want to be able to reset that. Because like I said, man, life just under normal circumstances has things that bump us around and you know, get us off track. And uh, you know, it's like going down the road. Last year, uh, toward the end of winter, I hit a pothole up here on Auburn Street that you know, almost made my feelings come loose. You know what I'm talking about? Wham! And I thought I was fine until I put my car on the track and was going fast around it and all of a sudden a big bubble showed up on the side of my tire because it had been broken, you know. I mean, this kind of stuff happens to us, right? And it derails us. And, and so uh, how do we reset that? How, how do we have an approach to life that is just what God wants us to have and, and works, okay? So we talk about resetting. We're talking about, remember, coming to a, a conscious understanding of things, of what God says about something, and then saying yes to God about it, right? Yes, God, okay, I see it, I get it. I'm surrendering to you, and this is what I want. And then, by his grace and enabling, we begin to make steps on that basis, right? Living those things out. And that can bring that <sighs> reset to your life. Anybody besides me find yourself from time to time in life needing to go, oh yeah, right? And so that's what we want to talk about today. How do we live life so that more often than not we're already there, okay? So let's go to the, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, we're going to be in chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick up one from under the chairs there in front of you and follow along. I think it always helps uh, to do that, we'll be on page 1348, Philippians chapter 1. Paul here has already greeted the Philippians. He says, I'm talking to all the Christians in Philippi, including the pastors and deacons. He talks about his fellowship with them, how he's confident God is at work in them. And then he gets down to verse number 9, and he says, here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. Now, before we start reading it, um, <clears throat> Do you think that the Apostle Paul, when he prayed and the Holy Spirit 
prompted him to write that prayer in the word that he's praying according to God's will for us? Absolutely, right? And so what we're going to read here today is God's will for us, how we approach life. So let's begin in verse 9. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us today through it, the things that we need to hear, all of us together, and then Lord, each of us individually, that your spirit would take your word and, and, and teach us and show us and challenge us and apply it to our lives. And I pray, Father, that right now we would settle in our hearts and minds that we're already saying yes to you about whatever you would speak to us about today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go back up here and work our way through. I mean, we, we read this, and okay, yeah, it kind of, you know, I get it, I read it, I understand, but there's an awfully lot of stuff here, and we want to kind of take it apart today and make sure we're getting, understanding this approach to life. Okay, so he says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. So apparently, they were already had the love of Christ in them, didn't they? We know this happens when we, when we receive Christ as Savior. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 5, the Holy Spirit comes in us, gives us hope, and then he sheds, sheds the love of Christ, spreads the love of Christ into us and out and through us. So they had it, and yet we always need to grow in it. This, this idea of loving the way the Lord intends for us to love, we never arrive. We can make a lot of progress. I mean, I gotta be careful. Sometimes I could discourage you and always tell you, you'll never arrive, you'll never arrive. Well, what's the point then, right? No, it isn't like that. We can make, you know, huge progress. But so Paul here should pray, you know, whether you're a new Christian and just learning how to love, whether you're a Christian that's, that's you've known the Lord for a long time, a lot of experience, but still that your love would grow more and more. And Paul starts with this. This is the very first thing he prays for them. And, and so what I want to do with you today is just to try to get a few concepts along the way and focus in on them. And the first one is this. Love matters most. Love matters most. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't, don't other things matter? What we believe about the Bible, doesn't that matter? What we believe about Jesus, doesn't that matter? Uh, you know, how we live our lives? Yeah, it does. It does, okay? Uh, but if I love God, if you love God and we're serious about our love for him, then all that other stuff can fall in place, right? Because our love for God will motivate us to pay attention to all those kinds of things. Love really, really matters. Um, we're told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our whole being. We're told to love our neighbors as ourselves. As Christians, we are told to love each other the way Christ has loved us. Uh, love, uh, what to say, covers a multitude of sins. Love, perfect love, casts out fear. I mean, love is huge. And, and really what love is, it's a summary. I don't want to say that. Love summarizes all the things that God tells us to do and not do and believe and not believe. Summarizes. Let me, let me explain here. Uh, a couple years ago when Jeff Stappenbeck was here. How many remember Jeff? Remember Jeff? Yeah. 
Um, so he and I were working on how do we help new believers, people who are new to their faith, or maybe they already knew the Lord, but they never really grew or understood, right? So we want to teach them, and how do we do that? And, and so we talked about, you know, okay, we want to talk to them about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and that he keeps us and, and uh, some practical things, you know, baptism and stuff. But then we were thinking, wow, where in the world does a new believer start? I mean, when I came to Christ back in 1975 in Missouri, you know what? An awful lot of unsaved people knew an awfully lot of Bible. Do you know what I mean? They grew up in and around church and heard that. They hadn't received Christ as Savior, but when they did receive Christ as Savior, they already had a lot of information in their head about what it meant to be a Christian. Not always right, but they had a lot of stuff. I was that way. I had you know, been exposed to the Bible stories and a lot of its teachings when I came to Christ. Um, but you know, it's not that way so much anymore. It really isn't. I mean, you probably are around people in your life that if you get to talking to them, you'll discover they had no Christian upbringing. Nothing. Okay, so they're starting with like almost nothing, right? And so the idea is, we're, here we are, we're saying, okay, you've received Christ as Savior. That's awesome. He's forgiven your sins. You're going to heaven when you die now. Here, here's the book. Go live by it. Uh, that's a pretty big book, isn't it? Anybody in here still learning it? Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? And so how do we tell them where to start? Where do you start? And, and so we arrive at the conclusion, just based on what Jesus said and, and the emphasis of things like we're reading here, that to tell them, look, when you aren't sure what the Bible says about something, act in love. When you aren't sure quite what the Bible, you, know, you don't really know for sure what the Bible says about something, say, well, what do I think it would mean to love God in this situation? If I really love God, how would I act here? If I really love this person that I'm interacting with, how would I act toward them? And when we think that way, you know what? You get most of it right, right? Because we, we get it. Uh, if I were going to love someone like I love myself, how would I treat them in this situation? And so love is crucial. And like I said, it, it does kind of summarize it. That, and what happens is the rest, all the word of God tells us how to love God. Tells us what gets in the way of loving God. All, all the word here tells us about it is how, what is loving in your relationships with other people. When it says do this, it's because it's loving. When it says don't do it, it's because it's not loving. All right? So as Christians, we should be continually growing in our love. And yes, certainly in our knowledge, but growing in our love. It is crucial for us if we're going to have the kind of approach that, that God wants us to have. And one of the things we need to understand then about love is we're not talking about, and this is where a new believer could still get messed up a little bit with love. We're not talking about just warm, fuzzy, sentimental feelings. How, now, I'm just giving you a heads up. Husbands, wives, if you're married or if you're thinking about getting married or whatever, you really need to answer this question right, okay? When you met the person you either married or wanted to, you think you want to marry and all that, and you fell in love, were those warm, fuzzy, exciting feelings? Come on, put your hand up. Yes, yes. Right? They were. Anybody notice that later on you realized, I don't think I really know what love was. 
And you have to keep learning to love. And you learn what's love look like in this situation and what's love look like in these things I'm facing. And how, right, we grow in our love. And so love is not, I mean, those feelings come and go. They can be there with love. They may not always be. But when we're loving, if we understand Christian love and, and Jesus and how he loved us, we understand that, that love is this. Love is when you make a conscious choice to value this other person in a way that you always act in his or her best interests, even if it's costly for you. That's the way Jesus loved us, isn't it? He came down and acted in our best interests, even though it was hugely costly to him. And so this is what we're talking about when we're talking about love, love that acts in the best interests of the other person. All right. So that being the case then, as, as we think about love, we need something else in addition to love. And so let's take a look here, see what Paul says about that. So there in verse number nine, he says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. And then he adds this, in knowledge and all discernment. In knowledge and all discernment. And I'm gonna talk about what those things mean in just a moment. But when you put knowledge and discernment together, you know what you have? It's called wisdom. Wisdom. And we're going to talk about that. So, but understand this. So love matters most. We have to love and we have to act in the best interest of those we love. Well, to do that well, you have to have wisdom. To love well requires wisdom. And that's why he says, yes, love more, love more, love more, and make sure it's in knowledge and in all discernment. Now, I, I think we get what knowledge is. Knowledge is, uh, obviously, it's information, it's facts, it's truths, it's principles that, that we know, we have it in our minds. Uh, but discernment is about being able to look at a situation and, and decide how does that knowledge fit here? How does that knowledge fit this situation? What truth really matters here? Okay, knowledge and discernment. And, and we put those things two together. When, um, when I got married in 1978, I, had, uh, taken, I, had, I wanted to find a job before I got married. I thought that was a good idea. Do you guys think it's a good idea to try to find a job before you get married, if you can? So I found a job and, and I, just, uh, I went to work at General Mills in Kansas City and uh, pack and flour. And a job came up, a, a mechanics job, and I bid to get the job, and I got the job. So I was gonna learn to be a mechanic on those machines that did the flower packing. And so when I got the job, then they gave me a list. They gave me a list of um, all the tools that I needed. And that was so cool. How many of you guys like just, you like tools? Oh yeah, maybe some of you ladies too, too. I don't know, yeah, but I like tools. It's so cool to have them. And I had a, a nice little pouch, right, and all my tools in it, and I had a toolbox with my other tools, and I was ready to go. And then they said, oh yeah, now we have, before you can start working, we have a course we want you to take. And you know what the course was about? How to properly use tools. <laughs> okay, and so I took a course, and one of the things that still stands out in my mind today, and I've, it saved me some blood and pain over the years, although I've, I've ignored this rule a few times, and then I've had blood and pain, okay? And that is that you are supposed, and maybe Stephen, maybe you'll appreciate this, you're, you're supposed to pull a wrench whenever possible, not push it. 
supposed to pull a wrench. Because guess what happens when you push a wrench? Mm, pow, right? And you, oh, ah, and then you got blood and pain and, and you're trying not to say bad words and it's really not a good situation. And so you have to know how to use the tools. And then as you, you as a mechanic, as you go on, you start to know which tool is best for which job. How much pressure should I put on this? How much I shouldn't, right? There's this discernment, looking at a situation, saying, oh, okay, you know, and knowing that. And so this is idea, knowledge and discernment comes together, and, and that is this idea of wisdom. So how do we act in someone's best interests? Well, see, we need knowledge and we need discernment to figure out those things. And certainly we need dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he says as he goes on down here in the passage. Because if we have knowledge without discernment, I'm sure I've been somewhat guilty of this in my own life, but I, I know, I, have, I, mean, I can think in my head right now, I've been around people who had plenty of Bible knowledge with very little discernment. And do you know how harsh they become? They judge everybody about everything based on their knowledge of the Bible. And that's not God's intent. Because you need more than knowledge. Because see, knowledge by itself puffs up, see. And so we need knowledge and discernment. And, and so there's two directions. With, if we don't have discernment, there's two directions this goes. One is we can become very harsh about the things we know. Or we can know that, well, God loves us and God loves everybody. And, and God is a merciful God and gracious. And, you know, he likes us. And, and we never deal with the issues of our lives. Either one's missing it. You see, this is why we need knowledge and discernment and that our love incorporates this wisdom. You see, because love with wisdom, listen, love with wisdom motivates us to communicate acceptance and concern for the worst of sinners. I'll talk more about this probably in, in a little bit here. But it motivates us to communicate acceptance and concern for the worst of sinners. And love and wisdom also motivates us to address and deal with the truth about someone's sin and wrongdoing. It's both. Okay? And, and you've heard this statement. People make it sometimes, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? And I, I think, you know, way that's originally intended, or when that's intended, that should be a good thing, but often it's not. It's misunderstood. You know, you know who has a hard time hearing that? The person who's the sinner, right? Oh, I love you, I just hate your sin. I mean, it just comes across wrong. So I, I wanna kinda just give you a little different way of thinking about this. I think it's, uh, whatever, just take it for what it's worth, okay? What we need to do is accept the sinner with their sin and love them enough to help them turn away from it. Now, you, is, if you're a, a strong, a serious-minded Christian, a committed Christian, this idea of accept the sinner with their, with their sin? Well, I want you to think. Let's step back and think about the Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. You know, that, that moment in time when the word of God became clear to me and I knew that I had sinned against the holy God and my sins rightly, I deserve hell and that's where I was headed. And then I came to understand that Jesus loved me. 
He died for my sins, rose again from the dead, and he offers it. He says, just receive me as Savior. Put your trust in me. Believe in me. Get saved. And I'll take care of that. All right. So April 4th, 1975, about 10 o'clock at night, I did that. And I was saved. He, he, you know, he came in. He forgave every sin. He, he, he gave me eternal life. And he moved in. And he's been working on me ever since. <laughs> Do you think that the moment... I received Christ and he accepted me that I had no more sin. No, you know what I did? I brought my mess right with me. All the stuff that was in my life that didn't belong, all the stuff that was missing from my life and should have been there, that moment when I got saved, yeah, I, I no longer suffer the penalty for it, but it, it went right along with me. And Jesus did what? He accepted me with my sin. Now, was that sin good for me? No. He loved me enough to go to work on me and to help me identify those things and change those things. You know, this is the way we, we should be interacting with other people. We've got to be this open, loving acceptance of people wherever they're at, whatever their condition is. And by the way, that's hard sometimes. But we need to be doing that. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. But we also understand as we move into this relationship, if they don't know Christ, what, what's the issue we need to deal with them about? That they need Jesus. And, and that same thing if they become Christians. Yeah, it, it becomes that we have accepted them unconditionally and they know we've accepted them unconditionally. And then we start to say, hey, you know this thing that's in your life, this thing here, uh, it's really working against you. It's, it's not honoring the Lord. The Lord doesn't want you to live that way, and it's hurting you as well. I want to help you with that. Let me help you with that. Now, once again, let's think about this in our own lives. Was there ever a point in time in life where all of a sudden you went, as a, as a believer, you went, boom, lights came on. You said, wow, this, is, this part of my life isn't right. It doesn't belong. Okay, God, I, I, want, I want to do this right. I don't want this. You're confessing your sin, right? And you're turning away from it. Were you perfect in that area from now on in your life? Or did you ever struggle with some of that stuff? I mean, occasionally people get rapid turnarounds, but overall, we still struggle with that stuff. And so we're accepting you, and we want to help you. And know that that's going to get really messy sometimes. Because they're going to struggle with their sin and, and maybe keep sinning, and, and we've got to keep working with them. And so this is crucial that we do this, that we love this way, okay? Uh, and, and so let's, let's look at this here just a little bit more. I mean, this is what Jesus did, right? The woman caught in adultery. If you know the story, great. If you don't, you'll get the gist of it. Woman brought to him, accused of adultery. They, they wanted, you know, people were accusing her and, and saying she ought to be put to death and all this. When it's all said and done, Jesus, they, they all left and Jesus said, you know, where are your accusers? And she says, they aren't here anymore, they left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. In other words, I what? I accept you. I accept you. Now, go and don't do this anymore. Do you see how that is? He accepted her and loved her enough to tell her the truth about what she already knew. But that's, that's what we need to be doing. We don't do people any favors when we love without applying knowledge and discernment. Um, 
This whole idea, accept the sinner with their sin, love them enough to help them turn away from their sin. I would almost guarantee that for most of us, the first one's a lot easier than the second one. Right? It's easier to be loving and accepting. It's a lot harder to say, by the way. It's a lot harder. But we don't do them any favors. We're not loving. We're not acting in their best interest when we don't do that. Could you imagine a doctor, he's the nicest doctor in the world, has the best bedside manner, and he seems like he cares so much, and he knows that you have cancer and never tells you, even though it could be treated. What kind of doctor would that be? Well, what kind of Christian would it be who would say they love you but won't tell you what you need to know? Okay, so we need to do this. And, and so this, there's this balance here that's kind of like a lot of what we talked about last week when we talked about the church needing to be in here, what it's supposed to be, so we can reach out there and that we need to be reaching out there so that we can be the kind of church we need to be in here. You need both. And so uh, this idea is as Christians, we need to be rejecting sin. We need to reject sin. Should sin be a part of our lives? No, sin is a terrible thing. It's, it doesn't honor God. It damages us and other people. Sin doesn't belong. We need to be rejecting sin. And yet somehow, at the same time, we need to be absolutely accepting sinners. Okay? Has to be both. And if, if that's difficult for you to capture, that's okay. Wrestle with God a lot. That would be an awesome thing for you to be doing. All right. So, you know, Christians and churches have a tendency to fall off the cliff in on one of two directions on this whole thing. Either they become very harsh and judgmental of sinners, and um, that's a really ugly, ugly situation, or churches tend to become so accepting they never address sin. We can't do that. We have to be both of those things. All right, let's look at verse 10. He says, that you may approve. Okay, so love with wisdom that you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve me, and you may be to evaluate, to look and, and test and actually apply this discernment to things in life and that you might say yes to those things that are excellent. All right, so the third thing here is this, that love and wisdom lead to wise choices. To wise choices. I'm gonna talk to you more about that in just a moment here. But this word excellent, when I looked it up, uh, you know, the language, is, this is translated from Greek, and it literally means to toss about. I'm thinking, how do you get excellent out of to toss about? And, and then I realized it's, it's sort of like this. It's, let's say that you have the love of your life, and you have a basket of apples, and you want to give the love of your life the perfect apple. Maybe when you were a little kid and you were in love with your teacher, <laughs> you wanted to give her the perfect apple. And so what do you start doing with those apples? You, you just go, you don't just reach in and take one, do you? No, you start going through it and moving around. And, moving. and you maybe even have to take that basket of apples and kind of just toss them out on the floor and move them around. Until, oh, there it is. That's the one. That's the one I'm choosing. But you see, this, it implies that there's been an evaluation, that you haven't just reached in the basket and so it is in our lives. We can't just be a whatever. When it comes to needing to make a choice, we need to instead, Paul says, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, we need to instead do some evaluating 
and choose the things that are excellent. Now, that means there's a couple questions we want to ask. First, obviously, if God says don't do it, don't do it. If God says we are supposed to do it, do it. There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't directly address. And so we ask the first question, you know, we ask, well, is this harmful? Is it harmful? And then we need to ask another question, is it helpful? Now, before you go, I know you're looking, what, 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 what? Just kind of chill out here with me, listen. The idea is that we ask, is it harmful? And if it is harmful, it's not a good thing, then it wouldn't be loving to do it, we don't do it. But if we say, no, it's, it's not harmful, that, does, that is not the green light to go ahead and do it. <coughs> There's another question you need to ask, and that's, is it helpful? Is it helpful? And I can see you guys, you're just looking at that. Huh? Let me talk about it. So we start off, is it helpful? And, uh, harmful. If we say yes, then it's wrong. Okay? We don't even need to ask, is it helpful? Second thing, is it harmful? And we say, well, maybe. Well, is it helpful? No. It might be wrong, might be hurtful, and it's no help. Don't do it. That's the wrong thing to do. Okay? Well, maybe it's harmful, and it, maybe it's helpful. I don't know. It's still probably wrong. Because you've got to be able to do things with faith. The Bible says. And then finally, is it harmful? Maybe. Is it helpful? Yes. Well, that's probably acceptable. There might be a time to make that choice. So we can work our way all through this, but you can see there are things, the red we got to say no to, not do. And the yellow we want to move out of because we want is to, is it harmful? No. Is it helpful? Yes. Bingo, that's it. That's the excellent choice. That's the best choice. That's not just a grab whatever choice. That's an examined choice, a thinking about it choice. Now, just give you an example. This is just very practical in life example. Tom Brady right now wins the MVP again last night, okay? Uh, he's really beyond the age where most quarterbacks are even in a position to play, much less excel. But you know what he has done over the past number of years? He has been making all of his decisions about what he eats at every meal, when he eats it, how he exercises, how he rests. He has been making every decision by choosing what is excellent when it comes to that goal. You see what I'm saying? Every decision, choose excellent. And has it made any difference in his life, of his football life? Huge difference. Well, guess what? In your life as a Christian, when you start examining things and look at all the choices you're making where the Bible doesn't specifically tell you, all the choices you're making and you begin making the effort to evaluate and think and say no to everything that isn't excellent and only saying yes to what's excellent. And so the idea is we need to want to keep trying to move out of the yellow into the green. That's what... He's talking about, we're talking about a pattern of life. How are we going to approach life? How are we going to approach life? And it will accomplish so much in your life when you begin living it that way. All right, next thing here. So love and wisdom lead to wise choices, and then wide choices lead to more sincerity and less sin. Let's look at the verse, verse 10 again. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word sincere really communicates the idea of pure and complete and the way it's supposed to be. And it, it, it's, uh, 
a translation of a compound word that literally means son judged. S-U-N, son judged. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes I have things like my dad's pills or something, and, and, I, look, and I put my glasses on and it's still, I can't read it, it's way too small, right? But what I've discovered, if I will go over to the door or the window and catch some sunlight, what? Now I can see it, okay? And so sun judge, the idea is that we bring our lives and put it under the, the light of God's word and the light the Holy Spirit shows on us through God's word onto our lives to look and see, oh wow, I didn't see this. This really doesn't belong in my life. Wow, this isn't consistent with who I'm supposed to be. And, and it will reveal also any hypocrisy in our lives. So it is, it's how we purify ourselves. And then he says, without offense. Um, the word offense comes from the idea of stumbling and the idea of stumbling into sin, stumbling over sin. And, and uh, when we are loving with wisdom, approving things that are excellent and making those choices, it will purify us. And we will sin less and less and less. We, and we won't influence others to sin, right? And this is important because verse number 11. Just being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. I love you, and every now and then, you know, I try to look up the words that these things are translated from, get a hold of what the meanings are, so we really understand the meaning of the word that's in front of us. But it says being filled. The Greek word literally means crammed. Crammed. Have you ever crammed things into something? <laughs> He's saying our lives can become crammed with the results of righteousness. And that's a cool thing. Um, what I've noticed about at home, I have a sock drawer. And I've, I've, I'm realizing now, because we just folded, Glenn and I folded a bunch of socks, and then I put them back in there last night, and I'm trying to get the socks in the drawer, and I can't get them in the drawer, and trying to get it shut. The reason is I have a bunch of older socks that I don't wear anymore, that I keep just in case. I realize those things need to go. And if those things need to go, guess what it makes room for? the new ones, and more of the new ones. Um, and that's the way our lives are. When our lives have stuff in it that doesn't belong, and maybe there's a little bit of hypocrisy here, and things aren't really where they ought to be, and especially when I have sin in my life that is there and it's ongoing, and there really isn't as much room for all the blessings of God. But as we begin to remove those things through this loving and wisdom and discernment and, and wise choices, all of a sudden, there's more room for all the good stuff that God has for us. All the stuff that goes along with being a Christian, this intention for it to be. All the stuff that we so desire, all the stuff that honors and glorifies Him. Right, and all this is by Jesus Christ. It's his, his pouring into our lives, His cramming our lives full of good stuff. I don't know about you, I'm tired of my life being crammed with junk. I'm tired of my life being crammed with, with stuff that isn't gonna make any difference in eternity. And so we gotta clean that stuff out and, and let the Lord Jesus Christ cram our lives full of His good stuff. And the, the very last phrase here, all this stuff that he's been working toward, he says, is headed in this direction. He says, to the glory 
and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God, the glory of God. All that he is, his majesty, his perfections, his love, his, everything there is about him, his glory. And then praise being that we're proclaiming that, that we're saying it. The very best, go ahead and go to number six if you were there, Mitchell, please. The greatest blessing will be knowing God in our lives, his glory in our lives, and then showing God through our lives, praise, bringing praise to him. Now you might say, well, I can think of a lot cooler blessings than that. You know why? Because you haven't experienced this blessing. It's, it's, it's amazing that the blessing it is when you have had a part in someone coming to know Jesus Christ and then you are investing their life, you're talking with them, you're helping them to grow and they're seeing God more and experiencing it. Wow. I, it's just the best. It really, really is. And this is where the Lord will take us. But we've got to push the reset button. Say, okay, God, this is the pattern of life I want. Love wisdom. Boy, I need to make better choices, Lord. I need to make those excellent choices. I need to clear out my life so you can fill it up. We do that and it'll lead us here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you challenge us with these things, encourage us with these things. I pray, Father, that we would uh, make that conscious decision to say, yes, I'm going to align my life with this approach. And Lord, I know that we will mess up along the way as we try to do that. Sometimes we'll head off on our own. But Lord, we ask you to keep working in our lives and bring us to this kind of approach to life that ultimately leads to your glory and your praise in us and through us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed.